You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. We've had a great set-apart week, and uh, I'm really thankful for uh, the time to worship together this week. How many of you have been here through the evenings and worshiping across the week? And we started the week with Reverend Dr. Carolyn Moore, and uh, she's been preaching into this theme of freedom from and freedom to. And uh, this morning, we have the great gift of uh, Dr. Chris Bounds closing our week around that theme for Set Apart Week. The chapel frame, as we come this morning and close out this week, is the renewed mind. Being shaped by scripture towards what is good and right and true. Having the mind of Christ is learning to conceptualize the world in a biblical way. To, in the words of William Blake, see through the eye with spiritual, theological, and philosophical sensibilities. This is, a renewed mind shapes us to walk with Christ. Trusting his redemptive work in our life and trusting the power of his grace that saves us is grace that also has the power to make us holy and to make us complete. And so I don't know uh, if we could have a a better person this morning to close out our week uh, and to speak into this. Uh, then Dr. Chris Bounds. We're really grateful um, for his friendship and uh, his long love for Asbury. He's a professor at uh, the seminary across the street. He also uh, presently serves on the boards of both uh, One Mission Society, OMS, and Francis Asbury Society. He is a proud graduate of Asbury and a former professor in the Christian Studies and Philosophy Department. Uh, Chris and his wife, Tamara, have been married for almost 30 years. They have two children, Maris, uh, and their son, Morgan, who is married to uh, Elise. Chris has three loves, the Arkansas Razorback basketball team, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish football team, and Ben and Jerry's Heath Bar Crunch ice cream. There's the three important things. Yes. Please welcome him this morning as we close out Set Apart Week. I was told this morning that what I do, do quickly. That's a command of Jesus. Jesus gave that instruction to Judas Iscariot. What you do, do quickly. So, our scripture reading this morning comes from the gospel according to John, chapter 14, reading verses 15 through 26. John, chapter 14, beginning with verse 15 and reading through verse 26. And if you are able, I invite you to please stand in honor and reverence for the public reading of God's Word. John, chapter 14, beginning with verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. 
The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be beloved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Let us pray. Allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. I grew up in the 1980s. I graduated from high school in Arkansas in 1984, and I'm a proud graduate of Asbury University in 1988. I love the 80s. One of the greatest performers in that decade was a woman by the name of Tina Turner. Her number one hit, What's Love Got to Do With It? This morning, I want to begin our time together by raising the question that Tina Turner asks. What's love got to do with it? Answer, love has everything to do with it. Love is at the very center of the divine life. It is what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share together with each other. Love is at the very center of the life of the church. As the church, we're called to love God with our entire being and to love our neighbor as ourselves. As my good friend Bill Urey says, love is ultimate reality. But love happens to be one of these words that we throw around in the church, but very rarely do we ever define what we mean when we say love. If I was to come to you this morning, I have no doubt that some of you, if I was to ask you what is love, you would take me to the great love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. But I would say to you, that is what love does. But it is not what love is. Others of you who realize that the New Testament was originally written in Greek, 
know that in Greek there are four different words for love. There is the word storge, which is the word for affection. There is philia, which is the love that is shared between friends. There is eros, which is the heat, the passion that lovers experience. And then I would dare say everyone in this room knows the last of the four loves, agape, which is the love that God has for us. But again, I would say to you what you have given me are four examples of love, but you have not yet shared with me what love is. This morning, in the few moments that I have with you, I want to give to you a biblical and theological definition of love. Love is composed of two parts. First, love is desire. It is the desire for union, the desire for fellowship, the desire for oneness with someone or something. Love is desire, but it's not desire alone. It is, second of all, the alignment of the will with those desires. It is making decisions and choices that work towards union. It's not desire alone, it's not will alone, but it's desire and will working together towards union, which is the very essence of love. Let me try to give you some examples of this. If I told you this morning that I love ice cream, what am I saying to you? I am saying that I desire, I want union. I want fellowship. I want oneness with ice cream. Ice cream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. But if all I did was desire that union and not go out and go to the grocery store and buy Ben and Jerry's Heath Bar Crunch ice cream, take it home, get a spoon, and then begin to eat it, it would not be love. It's not desire alone, it's not will alone, but it's desire and will working towards union. If I say to you that I love the Dallas Cowboys football team, what would I be saying to you? I would be saying to you that I desire some sort of association, some sort of relationship with that football team. And that I would make decisions and choices that would help facilitate that association, that relationship. So I would go and buy a Dallas Cowboys sweatshirt. I would have maybe an autographed football with the Dallas Cowboys football players on it. On Sunday afternoon, I might take time to watch them play on TV. I would be a faithful fan through thick and thin. And it's been a whole lot of thin <laughs> with the Dallas Cowboys. It's not desire alone. It's not will alone, but desire and will working towards union. If I tell you that I love my wife and children, what am I saying to you? What I'm saying to you is I desire a relationship with them. 
And that not only do I desire a relationship with them, but that I actually make decisions and choices that facilitate, that bring about that relationship. I've served for a number of years as a pastor in local churches. And in as a side here, I've met with a lot of couples who have troubled marriages. And it's obvious when I meet husband and wife, there is a desire to save their marriage. The desire is there. But they are not able to align their will. They're unable to make the decisions and choices that would actually bring about the union that is at the very heart of love. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's this understanding of love that helps us to understand Jesus' command in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, in which Jesus says to his disciples, love your enemy. What is it to love your enemy? It is to come to a place where you desire reconciliation. You desire restoration of relationship. And then you begin to actively work towards the restoration and reconciliation that is at the heart of love. Not desire alone, not will alone, but desire and will working towards union. And it is this understanding of love that helps us to begin to probe the riches of the most well-known verse in all of Scripture. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. God desired union, fellowship, oneness with the world. What got in the way of that fellowship? Sin got in the way. But God aligned His will. God acted to bring about that union. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Desire and will working together to bring about union. Now at this point you might be thinking that what I'm talking about here is some sort of syrupy, sappy sentimentality. But I want to be clear here. Where there is true love, there is a refusal to settle for any approximation of love. There is a refusal to settle for something that just appears to be love. True love will always work to overcome any obstacle, any impediment that gets in the way of the fullest union we are capable of having in love. A number of years ago when I worked as a youth pastor, one of my youth counselors was a young man by the name of Brian. And Brian was a relatively new Christian, but he came into my office and he said, Brother Chris, I have a spiritual problem. And I said, Brian, what is it? He said, Brother Chris, I hate my father. I despise my father. And the hatred that I have for my father is eating me up on the inside. 
and I cannot go like I'm going. And Brian began to tell me that his father was an alcoholic. And growing up, Brian's father physically abused him. So I began to work with Brian and began to pray with him. The Lord began to transform Brian's desires. So much so that he desired to be reconciled to his father. And he began to align his will towards that reconciliation. And I'll never forget sitting in the office with Brian and his father attempting to mediate a reconciliation between the two. But in the midst of that conversation, it was obvious that the father was unwilling to admit that he had done anything wrong in relationship with Brian. He refused to repent of the abuse that he had heaped on Brian. Now here's the question I want to ask you. Is it really possible to have reconciliation for Brian and his father? When the father is unwilling to confess, unwilling to repent of his behavior, and I will tell you, no, it is not. Love does not settle for something that looks like love, that appears to be love. But it works to overcome any barrier, any obstacle that would get in the way that is the union which is love. At this point, maybe you can begin to see that love and holiness are but two sides of the same coin. That in fact, whatever else holiness is, holiness is what love requires in order for there to be true and full union. It is what greases the skids, if I can use an old Arkansas term. It is something that forms the adhesive and that which is love. Again, let me try to give you an example of this. And I'm going to shock some of you, but I'm going to say this to you this morning. I want you to know, I love you. I love you to the degree to which I am capable of loving you given the circumstances of our relationship. Now, what does that mean? It means that I desire a relationship. I desire an association with you. Again, given the circumstances of our relationship. And what that also means is that I'm making decisions and choices that will enhance you, that will lead to your flourishing in life. What sin is, what unholiness is, instead of enhancing that union which is at the very heart of love, I do things that bring about its deterioration. So imagine, I say to you that I love you, but I leave this auditorium and I begin to spread gossip about you. I begin to lie about you. I begin to undermine you. I seek to make sure that I feel superior over you. That 
is sin. Love and holiness are two sides of the same coin. It is in fact the holy life that makes possible the fullness that is love. Now I want to come to our passage of Scripture this morning. And in this passage which I've read to you from the Gospel according to John chapter 14, 15 through 26, not once, not twice, not three times, but four times, Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. What Jesus is making clear to us is that if we want to walk in union with him, if we want to walk in oneness with him, then we must align our will with his will. Because if we are not aligning our will with his will, then what happens is is that there is separation that exists between us and Christ. My sisters and brothers, as a result of the fall, we're able to approximate love for Jesus. We're able to walk in such a way that it appears that we love Jesus. But because of the fall, we really do not. I happen to teach theology. My particular area of expertise is systematic theology. And one thing that is the real danger of the formal study of theology is that you can come to a place where you love your ideas about God more than you love God. It is quite possible to study Jesus and love our ideas about Jesus more than we love Him. There's an early 5th century theologian by the name of John Cassian who said that there really are three sort of stages in the Christian life, three steps in the Christian life. The first step is when we love Jesus out of fear. We love Jesus because we do not want to suffer the consequences of our sin. We do not want to go to hell. We do not want to experience eternal separation from God. And so we love Jesus out of fear. And again, it looks like love. It approximates love. There is some union that is there. But the problem is, there's something there that you love more than Christ. And so if fear is taken out of the picture, if there are no eternal consequences for our sin... That this life is all that there is. And there is not the threat of hell. 
then ultimately what we love is our sin. We love our sin more than we love Jesus. This is the problem when we only love Christ out of fear. But Cassian says there's a second stage to the Christian life. The second stage of the Christian life is when we love Jesus not out of fear, but we love Jesus for all of the benefits that He gives to us. We love Him for the peace and for the joy and the happiness and the blessings that He gives to us. For the success that He gives to us. And I will say to you that appears to be loving Jesus. It approximates a love for Jesus. But of those blessings and the benefits of following Christ go away, then there is the temptation to leave Christ as well. We follow Christ and we love Christ for His benefits. Again, one of the ways that you can tell in your own life whether or not you truly love Jesus or you're just approximating it is to know in the very depths of your soul for those of you who love God out of fear, if that fear was taken away, would you still continue to follow Him? For those of you who follow Christ and love Christ for His benefits, if those benefits were taken away, would you still desire Union with Christ. Then Cassin says there is the third stage in the Christian life. And that third stage is to come to a place where we love Jesus for His sake and nothing else. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Whether I experience success or whether I experience failure in this life, whether I prosper or I live in poverty, whether I experience health or whether I experience sickness throughout my life, whether there is joy in this life or there is pain in suffering, whether I get to do what I really want to do in life or I get completely laid aside for Christ, all that matters, all that matters is that I am His and He is mine. That I love Jesus for His sake. As a result of the fall, we have a problem of desire. Because of our problem of desire, so much of what we do in life can look like, can approximate love of Christ. But in the end, falls short of it. And then we not only have a problem with the problem of desire, we have the problem of will. So that even when we desire to follow Christ, we desire to be in union with Him. We have the inability to align our will with His will. See, our problem is, is a problem of love. It's a problem of desire 
and will. But this morning, my sisters and brothers, I have good news for you. And Jesus makes clear in this passage of Scripture that we truly can have freedom to love Jesus Christ. We can be set free. There can be the transformation of our desire and the empowerment of the will so that we can truly walk with Christ, desire and will, walking in union with Christ. Jesus says in this passage of Scripture, He tells them that there is this one that He is going to send, the Holy Spirit. And in verse 17, He says that this Spirit lives with you, but He will be in you. And then in the very last verse that I read to you, Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes, He will teach us to observe all things. He will empower us to truly be able to align our will with the holiest desires of our heart. Freedom from Freedom to whatever else holiness is, whatever else it is to be a Christian, whatever else salvation is, it is to be set free. It is to be freed to love Jesus Christ. This morning, as we close our time together, I wonder if you're here, and I don't doubt that you're following Jesus Christ, but maybe there needs to be a further transformation of your desire. So that you love Jesus not out of fear. You love Jesus not out of the benefits that he brings to you. But that you love Jesus for Jesus' sake. Maybe you're here. And the issue is not your desire. But it is the issue of will. You desire to be one with Christ. But you continually find yourself unable to align your will with his will you find yourself unable to walk in obedience to him my sisters and brothers there is this gifting of the holy spirit the fullness of the holy spirit that truly sets us free to love my sisters and brothers that is the good news in the name of the father son and holy spirit amen want to invite the worship team to come forward and to close us in song.